More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am your host, Kelly Downing. It is episode three already. I can't believe it, Um, but I want to thank everybody who has downloaded and listened. I so appreciate you listening right now to this episode. And if you took the time to tweet about Survivor Sanctuary or to leave a Facebook comment, maybe mention it on Instagram or even leave a review on iTunes, I just want to say thank you so much. All of your comments mean so much to me. It's awesome just to know that people are listening. It's awesome to hear that something they've heard on the podcast has been helpful to them. So I just want to say thank you for that. And I want to just remind you that if you do listen on iTunes, it would be so awesome if you could leave a rating and a review of the podcast. If you review the podcast and you rate it, that's going to help other people to be able to find the podcast. So the more feedback there is, the more likely it is that someone will be able to stumble across Survivor Sanctuary when they're looking for podcasts related to sexual abuse or healing from it. And so your reviews on iTunes are absolutely super helpful. And I want to thank uh, those of you who have done that already. It means a lot to me. And if you have a few minutes of your time, you want to say exactly what you think about this podcast and you can be totally honest. I'm not saying it has to be a five-star review. It can be uh, whatever you actually think and feel, of course, but it would be super helpful. So Uh, Having said all that, I want to dive right into today's episode. So last week, we had the opportunity to hear from Kelly Haynes, a survivor of sexual abuse whose story is, oh my goodness, it's heartbreaking and it's also just um, very amazing at the same time. She's such a courageous person and I was so happy to be able to share her story. And sharing stories is something that I'm going to be doing on the Survivor Sanctuary podcast a lot. And the reason for that is... I just think that our stories, not only do they help you heal when you're telling the story yourself, when a survivor is sharing their story, it can be very healing and very cathartic for them, but it also helps other people to be able to kind of connect with their own stories. And I know that if I had not had uh, other stories to hear in, in my experience, then it would have been difficult for me to find that road toward healing from abuse. And I want to share a little bit about what kind of prompted me to start sharing my story and why I think it's so important that we share our stories, whether it's sharing them with a few friends and family, somebody really close to us, or sharing them on a bigger platform, or just even sometimes Sharing the story with yourself for the first time can be super important. So that's what I want to get into today. And I'm going to start by taking it way back in the day. 
to when I was a senior in college and I had to take a science class, The Principles of Light and Sound. It was a 7.30 a.m. class and as much of a morning person as I am, I was still exhausted every time I had to go into that class. I don't remember the professor's name. I just remember he was tall and lanky and it looked like he never brushed his hair. It was always a hot mess and he was kind of cranky. I mean, 7.30 in the morning, who can blame him? But he used to tell us to shut our pie holes. So I remember his hair and I remember being bored. And I remember that if we got too loud and we were too distracted, he would say, Hey, shut your pie holes and let's work. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard someone refer to a mouth as a pie hole. I mean, I like it. I, I I'm definitely one that enjoys pie right up in this pie hole, but, um, for all the classes that I ignored and I ignored a lot of them, I usually was doodling in a notebook or daydreaming about boys that I liked at Southeastern college. Um, I was never paying attention, but one day professor, Piehole said something that really resonated with me to the point that I've never, ever forgotten it. He said, there's no such thing as darkness. And I don't know if you've heard that like 550,000 times in your life, but I had never heard it. I was 21 years old and I'd never heard anyone say that. And he went on to explain, there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. The more light you take away, the more you perceive something as being dark. But darkness in and of itself is not a thing. And I thought that was absolutely crazy. Never forgotten that. And I didn't assign any deep spiritual or philosophical meaning to that at the time. But as I have gone into healing from sexual abuse and as I've tackled my own story of abuse, that statement from him has really kind of come to a life of its own uh, because I lived for a lot of years as though darkness was a thing. And I lived with certain areas of my life in the darkness as though there was nothing I could do about it. And I didn't even think I wanted to, wouldn't even poke those things with a stick. I didn't want to tackle them and honestly didn't really think that I needed to. It wasn't until I kind of just was like, hey, let's turn on this flashlight. Let's shine some light in there and see what happens that I finally was opened up to this world of healing that I never, ever thought was possible. And it was kind of crazy. And I wasn't the type that was looking for a reason to delve into my past. And this is, I think, important because a lot of times when people hear you be open and honest about your experience of sexual abuse or really any trauma that you've gone through, people just assume that you're someone that assigns a lot of meaning to the events in your life and that you you know, are very focused on what things could have happened in your life that could have caused you harm. I was not a person like that at all. I legit was walking around thinking that nothing in my past was affecting my present. <laughs> like that's just how it was. I didn't realize that I had buried things. I didn't realize that I was hiding things because I honestly thought I didn't have any reason to hide anything or any reason to bury anything. But here's what started happening in my life. I began to really have a lot of struggles. And I think that I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. I was having a lot of serious struggles in my life and I knew something was wrong and I kept trying to fix it on my own. And I would think, okay, 
I'm, I'm having all these issues with uh, feeling like anxiety. And I, I didn't even know that I suffered from anxiety. I just knew that I had these awful feelings all the time that would like be very overpowering and take over. And I didn't know how to deal with them. So I would think to myself, okay, I just need to be around the right people. I just need to take more vitamins. I just need to exercise more. I just need to, you know, all these surface things where I thought that I could fix these random problems that I was dealing with. What I didn't realize was the problems weren't random at all. I was living out some serious effects from childhood sexual abuse. And because I had never been willing to kind of look at it and question whether maybe this was something that had deeply affected me, I was unable to get to the root of these problems that I was having in my life. But it was getting to the point where I was too uncomfortable living the way that I was to be able to keep doing it. I was super frustrated, and this is a podcast for another time, but one of the biggest areas that my sexual abuse showed up was in relationships, especially romantic relationships. And I started to experience this pattern in romantic relationships over and over and over again. And I could see the pattern, and I just kept thinking, if I meet the right person, this is going to stop happening. If I meet the right guy who's just this perfect being, um, I'm not going to have this debilitating anxiety. I'm not going to have these deep struggles that I I will get into in a future podcast. I I think it's important for some people to hear. I don't have time to kind of get into all of the details of the things that I was dealing with. Suffice it to say, I was having some huge struggles and not just in the area of relationships. That was probably the biggest area that it showed up. But I was to the point where I didn't have any answers and I hadn't been willing to look into the fact that I'd been sexually abused because I insisted it didn't affect me. I'm a strong person. That's what I thought. Like other people, you know, they've experienced much worse than I have and they've had these awful experiences and so they need therapy and they need, you know, help and they are broken, but I'm not broken. I'm strong and I don't need help from anybody because there's nothing wrong. And that was a message that I not only told myself, uh, I really believed it. And so when people would talk about sexual abuse or I would hear something and it would kind of make me sort of have emotions around it that I didn't understand, I was always kind of confused by it because I really didn't think that what I had experienced as a child was affecting me as an adult. But I remember one time it was this relationship and it wasn't even a relationship. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like lay it out here for you. I hadn't been in a relationship for a little while because All of my relationships were ultimately ended by me because I could not handle the anxiety that I had surrounding them. It was very much a horrible, horrible experience. It's something that I still uh, struggle with in a sense to this day, Um, not in the same exact way, but relationships are really hard for me. And when I say really hard, I don't mean that I had struggles like arguments and things like that. I mean like to stay in a relationship meant fighting some of the worst anxiety that I had ever felt in my entire life and anxiety that felt like it's something that I could not bear and could not live with to the point where 
my brain had pretty much decided that anytime I was attracted to someone or could tell that somebody was attracted to me, um, the alarm system in my brain would just go off. And I was going into fight or flight mode just from attraction or from affection or just getting close to someone or the threat, because my brain very much did perceive it as a threat, the threat of any kind of a relationship. And so one day I was in a church service and there was a guy there I'd never seen before. And I didn't think anything of it. And during the greeting song, he shook my hand, you know, like you go around everybody, you know, grab somebody, give them a hug, like all that awkward stuff that makes people not ever want to visit churches. (laughs) We were doing that. And he just smiled at me. And you know how, if you're a girl, I think, you know, you can kind of tell when there's like a spark of interest in a guy's eye. So, you know, you do the little ring check. Oop, no ring. Oop, there's definitely a spark of interest. And I remember just feeling like any girl would feel like this, like teehee, giddy, like flirty feeling like, oh, a cute boy likes me or whatever. And, you know, they're happy and they're pleasant feelings for about 30 seconds. But in my experience, that's about how long it lasted before my brain decided it needed to intervene. Because where someone might think, oh, cute little innocent flirtation, my brain actually thought someone is trying to murder you and you're going to die for sure. So I need to sound all of these alarm bells to make sure that you don't get yourself into a situation where you're going to get hurt and potentially you could die. And I'm being not at all, like I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not joking about the you could die thing. I literally felt that way when my anxiety would take over in relationships. It was to the point where it felt like my life was being threatened. And so it was torture. And I remember like going from having that little flirty, like feeling where you're giddy and you're full of possibility, like, oh, hey, it's a single guy. Maybe we'll get along. Maybe we'll start talking. And it went from that happy feeling like it always did to that darkness, that dark place where I can't access any logic, that dark place where I could not reason with myself. And I, I understand what was happening in my brain more now because I've done a lot of studying of it and I've had some therapy and I've had professionals explain it to me. But at the time I just knew it was the worst thing I'd ever experienced. And at the age that I was, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Because I keep telling myself that the next time, the next time it'll be different. The next time I like someone, I won't feel this way. The next time it's going to be different. If I just meet the right guy, these feelings are not going to happen. And I was always assigning this meaning uh, to these feelings like I was just choosing to be attracted to the wrong people. Um, And, you know, I won't get into all that. I'm sure there's plenty of that (laughs) as well. But for me at the time, I just knew I couldn't keep dealing with it. I was incapacitated to the point where like nausea, where feeling like you're trying not to throw up at the thought of someone being interested in you or someone smiling at you, like complete and utter ridiculousness to say when I'm not in fight or flight mode and when I'm not in the middle of like crisis and my amygdala is not trying to warn me, when I talk about it, it sounds silly. But um, the way that I've been able to explain it to people in a way that I think makes the most sense is you imagine a guy standing at your door and holding a bouquet of flowers. Say he's a cute guy, the kind you'd be attracted to, and he's got this big bouquet of flowers and he's there to pick you up for a date. 
you picture that and you have positive emotions and you have positive feelings of like, oh, yay, that's a warm and fuzzy thing. Like people write songs about it and they make romantic comedies about it. And in my mind, I open the door and it's like 50 members of Al Qaeda are running toward me with machetes drawn. And that's how my brain would react to something that should be innocent and sweet and fun. And so for years, I just, I refused to believe that it had anything to do with some deep underlying problem. I was like, nope, I'm definitely fine. And I just need to meet the right person. And then none of this will happen. So um, after years and years and years and years of being single (laughs) and meeting person after person and having the same experience, I had just had enough. And I'd had enough to the point where I had a pretty big emotional breakdown. And I will remember the night forever. And I consider it, and I actually refer to it as the snot on my bedspread night. You ever have those like come to Jesus times in your life where you're just at the end of your rope and you're frustrated and you're miserable and you're angry. And I was all of those things because I realized I have tried so hard to keep this from ever happening to me again, to keep this fear and anxiety and terror over relationships, to keep it at bay. And I've tried like, okay, I need to take vitamin D because I don't have enough of that. Maybe I need to take an antidepressant because you know something is, is off balance in my brain. Uh, maybe I need to do this, 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 or this. And, and hear me when I say I'm not knocking any of those things. Those were all things that were great to try and, and help a lot of people. And in some cases, those things did help me as well. But I kept encountering the same problem over and over again, and nothing was changing And I could not understand why, because in my mind, I was a strong person. I was an emotionally healthy person. I was fine. And I didn't know what was wrong. And I just remember that night, I just reached a breaking point and I just started probably yelling. I want to say praying, but it was more like yelling. And I was just like, God, you know, you've got to do something. You have to do something. You have to. And I was just crying. And when I say snot on my bedspread, like it was just like, there was no point in even getting up 50 times to go and get tissues. Uh, it was like, my face looked like a punching bag and I was just in crisis mode. And I was literally crying out to God, more like yelling at him. There is something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And I think that that was the first time that I had ever admitted out loud or admitted to myself or to God that there was something wrong with me. Uh, Before that, it was always, I'm strong. I can handle life. Anything that's thrown at me, I can take care of it. I can get through any crisis and I'm the strong person in my family and I help everybody else with their problems. And this was something that I could never, ever, ever figure out. And it was devastating to me emotionally. And I finally reached that breaking point. And my uncle, who is a counselor and a psychologist, he he actually told me when we were talking, he, you know, that's the best place for you to be because I was explaining to him what happened and that breaking point that I got into. And, and he said, well, you know, like they say, when you come to the end of yourself, that is when God is able to finally move in and work. And for me, it had been a lifetime of saying nothing's wrong and honestly believing nothing's wrong. And then that point, 
when I realized the way I've been trying to do things, like living as though nothing's wrong and though nothing has affected me and everything's fine, like it's not working. And so I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what the answer was. I had no idea what I should do or, or what God wanted me to do or what would help me to be able to heal. I just knew I didn't have the answer. And for the person who always had all the answers, it was really tough for me to come to that point. But I laid there on my bed, snotting all over myself, yelling at God, there is something wrong with me. And I just said it over and over and over again. I'm getting a little choked up just like talking about it here because it was one of the most powerful moments of my entire life. And, um, you know, some people might think it's a little irreverent to be yelling at God. And and I agree, but I found that in that moment where I was just real and raw and able to say like, dude, there's something wrong and you have to fix it. And I, I said those exact words and I said them over and over again. Like, there's something wrong with me. You have to fix it. You have to fix it. I've tried every single thing that I know to do and I can't fix it. Like I can't. And I thought, you know, reading my Bible more and praying more and, and, and going to church more and being a better person and, and trying this and trying that. And I had always thought that that was my responsibility to try and just make it all better any way that I knew how. And that moment of surrender was the moment that literally changed my entire life. The moment where I'm laying there, snot dripping and face all red and puffy and crying and yelling at God (laughs) alone in my little apartment with my great Dane looking at me like, you are a freaking crazy person, lady. Um, That was the moment that changed my life forever. And here's why. It was the moment that I stopped living as though darkness was a thing. And I just realized there are areas of my life that I haven't been willing to access because I've been insisting that there's nothing wrong with me. I've been insisting that I'm I'm fine. I'm not affected by anything that happened to me when I was younger. And I know that if I just keep moving, everything's going to change and and the, the stars will align and life is going to be okay. And it took me getting to that moment where I let God shine a light into me and to say to me, not audibly, but basically to say to me, there are things in there that we need to look at and you can either keep them to yourself or you can let me in and you can let me fix them. And I just find it just interesting now looking back that that was the first time I had ever just openly said, there's something wrong with me. I'd always thought I can handle it. Like, sure, I have these weird feelings when I'm in relationships. Sure, I have this like anxiety thing. Okay, you know, whatever. It's a chemical imbalance. It's going to be fine. Like, it was the first time I ever just flat out admitted the truth. There is something wrong with me, like seriously wrong with me. And I can't fix it. I can't. I need you to do it for me. And that was where my story really began, my story of healing. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't glamorous, to say the least. I didn't need a therapist to be sitting there with me holding my hand. It wasn't any fanfare. It was literally this tiny little apartment and, uh, you know, my dog looking at me funny and just crying out to God and saying, there's something wrong with me. And I can't fix it. I don't have the power to do it myself. And that was the beginning of me 
being able to share my story or the beginning of me being able to come to terms with the fact that there was a story to share because I had protected this part of myself and I'd kept it under cover of darkness or a better way to put that since there's no such thing as darkness is that I kept the light away from it. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> let's move along and let's just keep a lock here and I don't need any help with anything from my past because I'm good. And I think it's really important to share that when we're talking about story because so often the things that we leave buried inside and the things that we're not willing to look at, they're things that we think by burying them and by not looking at them that we're keeping them from having power in our lives. But what's actually happening is we're giving them this unchecked power in our lives. The things that I wasn't willing to look at, those were the things that were running my life. I was living basically in a big reaction to this trauma that I'd gone through and these experiences that I'd had that had really, really messed with me. And I wasn't willing to look at them and say, maybe, just maybe there's something here that needs to be fixed. And once I just made that admission, it's not like, you know, I suddenly woke up the next day and I was healed or I even had any idea what the road was going to look like. I just know that it took that point of surrender. And I remember um, shortly after that talking to my sister and I was telling her how I was trying to get over a relationship and I was just really ready to to get serious about uh, what it was that I wanted and the right type of person. And she's like, well, that's great. You know, you're, you're getting through this and you're going to be able to, to move forward and meet someone great. And I just remember saying to her, I think that I want to go and see a counselor before I think about getting into a relationship again. And she said, you know, that's probably a really good idea um, that they could probably really help you. And, you know, you, you've gone through, a lot of stuff that I'm sure is affecting you. And I, and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, What do you mean by that? And she was like, I mean, you know, what happened to you when you were a kid? Because I had talked a little bit to my sister about what happened. I never got into detail. I just would say things like this man messed with me when I was a kid. And so I always downplayed it. But as I got older, it did come up in conversation a few times and I had shared it with her. And I remember being kind of taken aback when she said that I probably needed to talk to somebody because I'd gone through a lot as a kid. I, I was very surprised to hear that. I'm like, well, do you actually think that that has anything to do with the issues I'm having in relationship? And there was this long pause, like this long pause on the phone. And my sister was like, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's 150% of your entire problem. And I still was skeptical. I was like, you know what? This is not true. I, I'm sure that, you know, maybe a little bit, but probably I just have another issue that needs to be worked out. But it was then that I decided that I was going to go and talk to somebody. And I walked into a therapist's office just a few weeks after that. And I remember it was an April morning and the sun was shining and there was this giant 
reptile outside an iguana. Uh, They're all over South Florida and they like to just sit and stare at you like you're their next meal. I know they don't eat people, but it seems like they should. (laughs) So I walk past the slithering iguana into this big building in Fort Lauderdale and I sat down in the therapist's office and I just was like, all right, uh, here I am. He asked why I was there and I said, well, there's something wrong with me. And I just started to talk to him a little bit about my upbringing and my family. And then I said to him, oh yeah, by the way, something else happened when I was a kid. And I don't know if it's a big deal, but I'm just going to tell you when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by a family friend a couple of times. And I mean, I'm just telling you that because it seems like, you know, therapists want to know this kind of thing. And so I'm letting you know, uh, might not mean anything. And he just kind of looked at me and pretty much stopped taking all the notes that he'd been taking and took our conversation in a completely different direction. And that was the very first time that I began to be open to hearing the ways that sexual abuse can affect a child's brain, can affect a person of any age, and the ways that that can show up unwanted in your life for years to come, and in a lot of cases for the rest of your life. So it was that tiny little bit of light. It was that tiny little bit of me being willing to say, there's something wrong and I don't know what it is. And I clearly don't have the power to fix it myself because I've been trying for years. And so I'm going to open myself up to the possibility that there's something inside that I need to bring into the light. And that changed everything for me. That night, crying hysterically, that day in the therapist's office, that was the beginning of me going through a transformation that sometimes looking back, I can't even believe has taken place. It's that kind of healing. It's that kind of change in my life. And I just wanted to share that part of my journey to let you know that if there's any part of you that is resistant to shining that light into your story of abuse, shining the light into anything in your past that you're just not sure you want to bring up. I understand. And and I was there and I didn't, honestly, I didn't even think that I didn't want to shine the light. I really thought I didn't need to. But once I did, I realized the truth of what uh, my professor, Professor Piehole had said to me all those years ago. There's no such thing as darkness. And I was creating this darkness in my own life by just refusing to allow light into places that I didn't want the light to go poking around. And once I finally was willing to do that, I honestly started a road to healing that has been completely insane and that has led me to where I am today. So we don't have a lot of time left. But I wanted to explain to you why I feel like it's so important to share our stories, why it's so important to shine light on things. There are so many authors that I love, and there are some great quotes about stories. And one of them that I want to share is by the author Mary DeMuth. She is a wonderful author, and she is a sexual abuse survivor herself. Her quote, it's very simple. It's an untold story never heals. And I think it is so true. When we bury things down and we refuse to look at them 
or we just can't. We're too scared. And I get that. Um, We give those stories a power in our lives that they shouldn't have. And it's just like being scared of the dark when darkness isn't actually a thing. It's just the absence of light. And when we can shine light into our pain and onto our stories, even the parts that we don't want to think about, that we don't want to remember, I feel like we give ourselves the opportunity to find profound healing. And that's what happened for me. And there's a lot more to the story. And of course, there will be a lot more episodes of Survivor Sanctuary. But I thought it was important to share why I'm so passionate about telling these stories of survivors. Because when you shine light, you just take away any power that the darkness has. And I want to be a part of shining light into what can be some serious, serious darkness. There's actually a really great great quote by Morgan Harper Nichols. It says, tell the story of the mountain you climbed. Your words could become a page in someone else's survival guide. And I think that that's awesome to know that your story could be helpful to someone else. And I know that that is definitely true. But I think it's so important to remember that your story matters and someone needs to hear it. And that first someone who needs to hear it is you. And I know for me that when I finally told myself the truth, told myself my story, that was when I was able to start having power over it. And that was when it started having less power in my life. So I want to encourage you to tell your story. I know I would love to hear it, even if you just tell it to yourself. When you let the light in, it frees you up from so many things that you may not even know you're struggling with. Well, we are out of time officially for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and just allowing me to be vulnerable. And I'm sure I'll have a little bit of a vulnerability hangover (laughs) when uh, this podcast airs. Um, But that's okay, because if my vulnerability helps somebody else to be able to think about their story in a new way, or to be able to find healing of some kind, then it's worth it to me. And I think it's so important that you find the courage to be vulnerable um, with yourself as well. So I want to encourage you to tune in to the podcast next week. I am going to be chatting with Ashley Easter. She is an author, a speaker, a coach. She founded a conference. She's an amazing person and a sister survivor. And we are going to be chatting with her next week on the podcast about some really great things and about her story as well. And you do not want to miss out on that. Well, thanks again for listening to Survivor Sanctuary, and I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.